Good morning. This morning our scripture is uh, from the book of Isaiah. In your pew Bible, it's page 714. It's a reading from Isaiah from chapter 40, verses 1 through 5, and then 9 through 11. Having experienced a time of alarm and distress, the people of God received this message of hope that help is on the way, that their fortune is about to change, that God himself will rescue them. Again, Isaiah 40, verses 1 through 5 and 9 through 11. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling, in the wilderness prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all the people will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout, lift it up. Do not be afraid, says to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power, and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him, and his recompense accompanies him. He tends to his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. The word of the Lord. The people of Judah that God addresses through the prophet Isaiah were a long way from home. They had been exiled and taken captive to uh, Babylon, modern-day Iraq. So the announcement that we find here in Isaiah 40 signals that their wait is almost over. Waiting is not something most of us, if given a choice, would choose. Um, But sometimes we don't have a choice. K.G. Phillips of our congregation uh, didn't. On the night of October 8th, when the firestorm came, her husband Lloyd was away on a fishing trip. She saw the embers, and with the 70-mile-per-hour winds, knew that it was coming quickly to their home of 46 years on Linden Lane near Mark West. She put on her robe, grabbed the car keys, 
and her medicine. And by the time she drove down their 700-foot driveway, the fire was swirling all around her. The electricity was out, which meant that when she got to the gate at the entrance, it would not open. She prepared to back up when a tree fell across the driveway behind her. She was trapped. Surrounded by fire, she had nowhere to go and no help in sight. I asked her, what did you do? She said, I prayed, turned on the air conditioner, and waited. When her son Todd could not reach her by phone, he knew something was wrong. So from Tennessee, he called his friend Dave, a Sonoma County deputy sheriff, and asked him to go check on his mom. KG had waited there in her car five and a half hours when Dave arrived to escort her out of the smoldering terrain. They had to cross the creek by foot because the bridge she had intended to cross had burned to the ground. Waiting, in this case, was the right choice. It was her only choice. When waiting drags on, such as the decades of exile expressed by the people of Judah, it can pose a challenge to faith. It concerned some people to conclude that either God lacks the will or God lacks the power to do anything about our situation. They might have thought that God had forsaken them and therefore was unwilling to deliver them. Or they might have concluded that perhaps God isn't the Lord of history as they thought and the gods of Babylon had more strength. And God, therefore, was unable to overcome their captors. Yet at the time when the people were most disheartened, God speaks these words through his prophet. Comfort, comfort you, my people. The covenant had been broken, but God had bound himself to his people forever. And in an act of renewal, uh, returned them. In the literature of fantasy, we would call these words magic. In the language of theology, we call them grace. Powerful words which do what they say. God has not allowed disobedience to disavow his relationship with his people. Speak tenderly literally means... Speak to the heart. God turns once again to his people and offers forgiveness and puts everything right that has been made wrong. According to scholar Klaus Westermann, this and this alone is the cause of the change in their misfortune, the end of their service to alien masters and a return home. We are inclined to think that God's actions depend upon our actions first. After all, don't we say, um, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors? 
Don't we say, draw near to God and he will draw near to you? As if what we do depend, um, puts, is conditioned on what God is going to do. But the gospel throughout the New Testament, we hear otherwise. And in this text too, it is the same. We hear the gospel here because God speaks before we do. God acts before we do. And God comes because we're powerless to do anything about our circumstances. The promise of a deliverer, the hope of a future, the setting of that which is wrong, made right again. It's all God's doing. The comfort God offers is not some sort of repayment for unjust suffering or some compensation for what's gone on too long and therefore it's a time of relief. No, it's the result of God's goodness and God's gift of forgiveness. Sin always separates us from God, but God addresses our problem of sin, even when we can't or where we won't. So exile is not always about geography. It's not always about the distance of space. Sometimes it can be the distance in our hearts. Jesus invited his listeners to come home. He urged them to leave behind whatever form of exile they found themselves in. They might have thought he was referring to the fact that Rome occupied their their land. And therefore, even though they were in the land, they were still not free in their own land. But that's not what Jesus was talking about. He was talking about all the things that detracted them from their trust in God. Things like believing in their rabbinic tradition more than listening to the voice of God blaming Rome for their troubles, or accommodating themselves to a a system of belief and values that was not true to their identity as the people of God. Jesus called them to a new reality, called them to trust their lives to God's sovereign goodness and care, to let his rule um, be their rule as well. What this text says to me is that to wait on God is not a matter of time. It's a matter of trust. Trusting the character of God to be true. To wait then is not to be perplexed or confused or fearful, but to take comfort. To have one's head be lifted to know deep inside that God is indeed at work for our good. Such faith is not easy, and it's, and it's not instant. It takes time to develop. Like the people Isaiah addressed were likely to try everything else first, or like Penny said, to take matters into our own hands when God is on the slow side or God seems to be taking his time. We begin to rely on our own strength and abilities. 
We might even ask for help, and if we can't seem to bring ourselves to form those words, people take pity on us and help us anyway. Or we may turn to some present-day idol, some substitute for God, whether it's our materialistic society that encourages to use all of our resources or find other resources to not be daunted by whatever problem or challenge we face. Or whether it's our rationalism that says if we just think right, then that will bring about the change that we need. Or perhaps some superstition that we will try, we'll try anything before we allow God to work, before we say, I will wait and hope for the Lord. Meanwhile, I think Penny has it right. Meanwhile, God waits. And how ironic is that? We think we're the ones waiting, and God is sitting there going, hmm, how long? Does he say, how long, O Lord, to himself? How long is this going to take before it sinks in, before Dale gets a clue? All the while, God's waiting for us to choose him, to trust him. Isaiah 40 tells us how faith and hope endure waiting. It's not about waiting to have our questions about God be answered, nor to have some new international agreement or treaty give us the kind of security we long for. But rather, it's about proclaiming a message. Behold your God. God comes. God comes with power to overrule that which rules over us. God comes in compassion and mercy to intervene for us and gently cares for our needs. As was read for us from this verse in verse 11, we get this image of a shepherd. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers his lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart and gently leads those that have young. Jesus went from town and village preaching the good news and we're told that when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because he saw them as people who were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus told the parable of the lost sheep to emphasize the value each and every one of us has before God. That God's not willing for any one of these little ones to be lost. So Jesus' entire life of preaching and healing and serving was an enactment of God's word depicting this shepherd that searches for us that is ever on the move toward us. God is here and he will not rest until he finds us. He will not give up his search until he holds you and me in his arms. Could it be the reason we've never allowed ourselves to be held in this way is that we're still trying to pursue any and every other means possible? Receiving this bread and this cup today 
is an act of faith and trust in God's presence and God's power to bring us safely home for Jesus to make it possible for us to be at home with God. That is the message that Jesus wanted his disciples to understand when he had the Passover meal and celebrated it with his disciples. When he took bread that was part of that meal and broke it and said, this now is my body. It is given for you, for, for you to remember me, to make this about me. And in the same manner, he took a cup and said, this cup is the new covenant sealed by my blood. It is poured out for the forgiveness of sins that you may be made whole and made right before God. The Apostle Paul would later add, as often as we eat this bread and we drink this cup, we proclaim God's saving power in Jesus Christ. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. You're invited to receive them as nourishment to your bodies, as rest for your souls. <clears throat>